Welcome to the podcast. Tom Shanklin here. Uh, joy to be with you today. And today we want to talk about how to preach the gospel. How to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that you've given us to proclaim a message that can change someone's eternal destiny and really, really literally change the world. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel that you've given us. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. We believe he died. We believe he was buried. We believe he rose again. And thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of letting others know about that. In Jesus' name, give us that heart to proclaim your message and give us a confidence to know that with you all things are possible. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How to preach the gospel. Well, the title might scare some people off. How can I possibly preach? I don't have a master's degree or doctor's degree or I'm not a silver-tongued orator. But I tell you, preaching is not all about eloquent words. It's about the power of the message. It's a very simple message, and it's simple to learn how to do it. And, you know, God has taught me some things over the years. I've been preaching the gospel for many years, made a lot of mistakes, and did a lot of growing over the years. And so I want to impart to you some of the things that I've learned uh, over the years and encourage you so you can just bypass me and and um, be very, very effective in your presentation of the gospel. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. By the way, if you're not on our website and you're listening to this, go to tomshanklin.org and uh, the notes, the study notes will be there and you can follow along. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, that's an amazing statement. It doesn't say whosoever belongs to a certain church shall be saved or whosoever goes through certain religious rituals shall be saved. It doesn't say whosoever lives a perfect life will be saved. It says whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just think of it. Of it, We have the privilege of proclaiming a message which can produce faith in people's heart, which should cause them to have eternal life. It's so awesome. You know, uh, I think of all the things that I could do in this life, you know, uh, become a, a great business person or a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or president of the United States or whatever it is that you think in your mind is so great. But really, what could be greater than proclaiming a message that can cause someone to receive eternal life? Think of that. You can do that, praise God. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what your skills are or abilities or where you live or what your educational level is or how much money you have, you can preach Jesus. Hallelujah. And lives can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is so awesome. Jesus told us in Mark 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. That's all the world. That includes where you live, and it includes all around the globe, all around the world. Praise the Lord. And it tells us in the, the uh, end of that chapter, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. You know, when you preach the word, the Lord will confirm the word. When you preach the gospel, he'll confirm that. If we don't preach the gospel, then the Lord has nothing to confirm. You know, we can teach a lot of things from the Bible, and a lot of them are very good, and everything. every part of the Bible is very important. But if we leave out the, the simple gospel message, we're really missing it because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Now, the word preach, the Greek word translated preach in the Bible means to be a herald, to proclaim, to make a public proclamation of truth, to publish, to proclaim openly something which has been done. Well, I'll tell you what, something's been done. God has done something. God sent his son into this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And then he went to Calvary and he died on that cross for the sins of the whole world. And then he was buried and he was in the grave and he was dead dead, dead, three days in the grave. But on the third day, the Lord raised him up. God raised him from the dead and Jesus is alive. Then he ascended to heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit. God's done something. He's done a miracle for every person on the earth. And you and I have the privilege of letting them know what has been done for them. You know, someone gave the illustration of someone being in a, in a prison or in a jail and sitting there, and someone comes along and opens the door, and the door is unlocked, but the prisoner just sits there in the jail. Well, I've got good news. The prison door is open. Come on out and enjoy freedom in Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus has set us free. He paid the penalty for our sins at Calvary. And folks, you and I have the privilege of proclaiming this great and glorious message to others. And I just want to encourage you in that today. You can preach the gospel. Amen. So just say it. I can preach the gospel in Jesus' name. Now, the evangelistic message expresses the heart of God towards the person who is without God and without hope in this world. Remember, the unsaved person really has no hope. They have no future and they do not have God. They are lost and without God in this world. But this message proclaims the good news of salvation and explains how to obtain it. And that's very important, that we need to tell people how to receive salvation. We don't want to just dangle a carrot out there and tell people, you know, Jesus is the answer without telling them how and giving them an opportunity to actually receive Jesus Christ into their life. Some people think that preaching is something that's done with great fervor and emotion and strong emotion and with someone who just has great uh, preaching skills or, or abilities. But preaching, it, it may be emotional or it may not. You know, it, the personality of the person has a lot to do with it. But by definition, uh, an evangelistic message must have gospel content. That's the main thing. It must contain the gospel message. 
I love the scripture in Acts chapter 11, verse 14. It talks about how uh, the angel had told Cornelius to get a hold of Peter, who will tell you words whereby you may be saved. You know, just think of it. We have the privilege of giving people words through which they will be saved. These are really, really very, very powerful words. Man, you can use your tongue to speak words that will enable someone to be saved from eternal destruction and to have eternal life. What do we preach? We preach Christ. The Bible tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. He didn't give them a lesson on renewing your mind. Uh, he didn't teach them about intercessory prayer. Uh, he didn't give them a marriage seminar. He preached Christ because those people didn't know Jesus. How can they grow in intercessory prayer or marriage or their marriage or anything else until they're born again? So what did he preach? He preached Christ. He preached Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Read that por portion of scripture. I won't quote it all, but it says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it's the power of God. And it says that God chose to save people through the foolishness of preaching. You know, to the natural man, the idea that you could proclaim a message about someone that lived 2,000 years ago and, and was crucified, uh, that that act could change someone's life. That is a foolish idea to the natural man. But thank God, Jesus has died for our sins. He has rose again. And when we proclaim that simple message, I'll tell you what, it registers on the heart of man. It registers on people's hearts and they know that they can have eternal life. Praise God. What an awesome message. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4, tells us what the gospel is in a nutshell. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, talking to Christians here, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. When I came, I preached the gospel. This is interesting because in 1 Corinthians, earlier in the book, in the uh, second chapter, Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you but Christ and him crucified. So when Paul first went to Corinth as a missionary, he didn't preach anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his message. He determined just to forget about everything else and focus on the message of the cross. And through that message, people were saved and the church was established in that place. But here he is in the 15th chapter, and he's talking. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached to you. See, previously I preached to you, which also you have received. Praise God. People can receive the gospel. And wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? Well, right here, he gives the gospel in a nutshell. Three things. Christ died for our, script for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, 
and the third day he rose again. So everybody say, the Bible says, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose from the dead. Praise God. Isn't that simple? Well, now you know how to preach the gospel. <laughs> and the simplest version is just those three things. He died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And Jesus is alive today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to get happy here. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to talk to you now uh, about three different areas. First of all, preparing your heart uh, to share the gospel. Now, the day that you got born again, you could minister salvation. You wouldn't have to have any training like this. Uh, you wouldn't have to know anything except Jesus saved me. My life has changed. Jesus came into my life. I'm different than I was before because that's called witnessing. The Bible talks about being a witness and a witness is someone who gives evidence uh, to a truth. And when you receive Jesus, you have a message to share, and that's what Jesus did in my life. You know, I heard a testimony one time about a, a woman, a young woman who was in college, and she went out to dinner with her college professor. And and uh, he was telling her how that, so, of course, she was a Christian. She, she had been born again recently, and he was telling her how all this Christianity and this Christ, all these Christian uh, so-called truths were a fallacy and that, you know, he, she should just give all this up. And then, you know, he, he was giving all the intellectual reasons why. And, you know, she, she just turned to him and said, well, I don't know about all that, but one thing I know, Jesus changed my life. I once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. <laughs> Jesus changed my life. That's your testimony, you see. Well, uh, later on, uh, the college professor gave his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was saved. And actually, that they became married after that and went into the ministry. So thank God. There's power in the gospel, amen? And there's power in your witness. Just letting someone know what your life was like before you came to the Lord, uh, how you came to the Lord, and then what your life has been like since you came to the Lord, that is your testimony. That is your witness. And that's very, very powerful. But we're all to grow, amen, in every area of our Christian life, but also in evangelism. And we should we should develop to the place where we understand our faith and and what it is that God has done and what the scriptures say about salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Well, sanctify the Lord God in your heart means just set apart your heart to God. You know, have that place in your heart that's set apart for Jesus to be Lord of your life. And, and we're talking now about preparing your heart to share the gospel your personal relationship with God is so essential because you're giving people Jesus, you see? And so as your relationship with God is deep, I'm not talking about uh, deep intellectually, but deep in relationship, the more you are in love with the Lord and on fire, that's going to be conveyed uh, in your witness and in your testimony and in, the, in your preaching of the gospel. 
So he said, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, it's a good starting point just to think about, well, what would I say if my coworker said today, well, why do you think you're going to heaven? What is it that makes you believe that, uh, that you're saved and you're not going to go to hell and you're going to go to heaven? Well, uh, work on that. Amen. And hopefully this message today will help you uh, to know those reasons and to help you to grow in being able to share the gospel with others. So grow in your understanding of the Bible, especially in the redemptive truths. Get the key scriptures concerning salvation into your memory and into your heart. And then you can speak extemporaneously from your heart under the unction of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about evangelistic preaching, it, it really, I have found, works best if it's just from the heart extemporaneously. It's not like teaching where you're going from verse to verse and, and uh, laying this truth here and this truth there and so forth. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to make a rule. I'm just saying this is what's worked for me, is that if you can just, you know, open the Bible, read a scripture text, and then from that point just share from your heart. And share scriptures and, and that you're, that are in your heart and in your mind, you know, with the people. And, uh, you know, either paraphrase or, or quote scriptures. And share the message in a clear, concise way that's understandable. That has the greatest power. Because you can look the people in the eye and you can just speak from your heart. And God can powerfully use that. So you want to begin to develop uh, your, your memory and your heart for the scriptures concerning salvation so that you can share them. And not in a contrived way, but just so they'll come out of your heart, you know. Find the scriptures that have meaning to you personally. And just think of it. Think of your preaching to a crowd as, in a way, it's just like if you were sharing with a friend one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you're, you're telling them why Jesus is the answer for them and how they can receive him into their lives. And then be filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1 8. Praise the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting in every gospel, you see some in some form uh, uh, what we call the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He says it in different ways, but in each one of those gospels, he gives them a commission to take what they have learned and take their relationship with him and share it with others. He said, go. But here this verse says, uh, wait for the promise of the Father. You know, uh, in uh, Acts chapter uh, 1, chapter verses 4 and 5, he says, wait for the promise. And then here he says, you shall receive power when? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So what's he telling us? Well, we should wait upon the Lord for this power in our life. It will enable us to be witnesses. It will enable us to preach the message. There's a tangibility of the Spirit when we take time to pray and wait upon God and ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And that power will enable us to bring God forth in our preaching and our witnessing. Amen. So be filled with the Spirit. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I understand that that phrase there, be filled, is uh, a little different tense than we understand in the English language, but it could be best translated, be being filled. In other words, talking about a continuous filling of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people will say, well, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in, in 1979. Well, well, what about today? Hey, man, we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? You wouldn't say, I drank water in 1979. No, you know, you drink water every day. And so we should drink of the Holy Spirit every day. We should be in God's presence and worshiping Him. And that scripture goes on to say, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, cultivate your relationship with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord in his presence, in prayer. Quiet yourself. Have a quiet time so that your relationship with God is strong. Because if your relationship with God is strong, your preaching is going to be strong because you're coming at it from a basis of faith and relationship with God. After all, you're talking to someone about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you can best do that out of your own relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I love the scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, could someone say that about you? Can they, can they say, I believe you've been with Jesus. You know, maybe you haven't been to seminary, but you've been with Jesus and you have something to tell me that I need to hear. Praise God. Amen. And then uh, I'm just going to open my Bible and read Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. If you have your Bible, you can open and read along. Or, well, like I say, we have the notes there. But Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was preaching and ministering during his time on the earth. Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching, there's that word again, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Praise God. Amen. You know, there's a thought there I want to add in, the gospel of the kingdom. You know, always see that Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And in Matthew 24, 14, it says that before he comes back, this gospel of the kingdom, it says, will be preached in all the world. You know, it's the gospel of the kingdom because there's a king, King Jesus, amen, and he is the ruler. We're talking about the rulership of God. When man sinned, he fell away and came out of the rulership of God. He came out of the kingdom of God. And he began to serve himself and actually submit to the devil. But when we come back to God, we come into the kingdom of God. We come under the rulership of God and the rulership of Jesus Christ, and we're in the kingdom. And by the way, also, we have kingdom authority when we're in that kingdom. So it's another message, but I wanted to add that in because it's the thought about the gospel. Sometimes we forget it's the gospel of the kingdom. 
Amen. It's the gospel of our salvation, but it's also the gospel of the kingdom. And, you know, the scripture said in uh, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the son of God, it was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he knew, you know, I can't minister as one person, even though he's the son of God. He's on the earth. He's in a physical body. He had limitations. And he knew that he could not reach all the people. That's why he had disciples. That's why he has you. He's called you and I to reach these people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You know, they, they may think they're on the right path, but they're headed for destruction. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need the good shepherd in their lives. And he had compassion on them. And you see, we need that compassion birthed in us as well. And so Jesus' prescription then for his disciples was pray. You know, he said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of people that need to be saved, but there's not a lot of people that will work to see that they are saved. So Jesus said pray. See, prayer is such an essential part of evangelism. To pray, when you pray for the lost and you pray for God's work in reaching the lost, something will change in your heart. I know for me, before I went into an evangelistic ministry, I actually prayed intensely for about a year, seeking God for his direction, praying for the lost, and God began to change my heart. My heart. And one time, the Lord had spoken to me and he said, align your heart with me. And, you know, I realized that I was a Christian. I was born again. I'm going to heaven. I was actually a, a pastor. But as far as the, the, God, the Lord's attitude about the lost, I didn't have that completely. And so he, when he said, align yourself with me, bring yourself in alignment. You know, when your car's out of alignment, you bring it in the shop and, you, and they work on it <laughs> and they get it lined up so it'll go straight down the road. Well, we need to line up with the heart of God for the lost. And the only way I know that you can do that is through prayer. You can study the scriptures and see what he says there and then pray that God would work that heart, that his heart in your heart. And when your heart connects with his heart for the lost, you'll have a right attitude for evangelism. Praise God. So we're talking about preparing uh, your heart to share the gospel. So these are some of the things that'll help you in that. Another area is um, to really walk in the light of your own salvation. Again, you're trying to give people a relationship with Jesus. Well, it's essential that, you know, that your own relationship is strong and working. You know, we can be born again, we can be saved, we can be on our way to heaven, but really not walking in the light of our salvation, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, 
the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. The husbandman, of course, there is the, the farmer. And he's saying the farmer that works must be first partaker of the fruits. He's saying that the farmer should eat his own crop first before he sells it. So we should be enjoying, you know, the fruit of our salvation so that when we share it with others, they can enjoy it too. And, and you know, that, that just comes back again to your personal relationship with the Lord. And, you know, sometimes we're, yes, we're born again, we're going to heaven, but we're not really walking in the light of our salvation. There's a dark cloud maybe is entered in in some, in some area. And so we don't really have the joy of the Lord. But when you have the joy of the Lord, you have the peace of the Lord, you have the love of the Lord, then as you share, you're able to impart those things to others. It comes through. You know, people can, can read you. They can tell what's going on. They can tell if you're caring about them, if you're loving them, and, and what's happening in your own relationship with the Lord. And if you're excited about Jesus in your personal relationship, then that excitement will come over into your evangelistic preaching. So I encourage you uh, to, to you know, partake of the fruit of your salvation. Paul made this the statement in Romans chapter 15, verse 29. I am sure that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So you can only give what you have. and if you, But if you have something, amen, and it's working in your life, it'll come through. And, and you know, this goes for our, our time with the Lord, our relationship with God. You know, sometimes... Even though we've been saved, we've been born again, we have salvation in our hearts, uh, something will come in to cloud that relationship. And it happens to all of us, you know. Um, it happens to me and it happens to you. <laughs> that, you know, maybe we said something or we did something or we acted in a way that's contrary to the Lord and it puts up a hedge between us and the Lord. You know, we're saved, but there's a hindrance in our fellowship. But God has a way for us to take care of that hindrance by confessing our sin. So the way it works for me, you know, most often is in the morning, I'll be spending time with the Lord. And it just seemed like the Holy Spirit will shine a light on something in my life, something I said or did or an attitude that I've had or an area I need to grow in. And I'll just see it, you know, Lord, I, I, I need to change here. And I'll confess it to the Lord. And, you know, the scripture said, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I'll just confess it, Lord, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have talked that way to my wife. I shouldn't be having this attitude about the, this business deal. Uh, I didn't let my light shine the way I should there, you know, so Lord, forgive me. Uh, I just ask you to forgive me, Lord, and I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus for cleansing me of all my sin. And, you know, that peace comes then, and you lift your hands, and you praise and worship God and enjoy his presence. Praise God. And that's the way we need to live. So we're talking about preparing your heart to preach the gospel. It's something to do. You know, if you know you're going to have an opportunity to preach the gospel, yes, you you know, you prepare yourself you spend time with the Lord that day and or the days before and thinking about it. But we're also talking about just making it our goal to to walk in the light and be ready. You know, be ready to give an answer. You know, most of the evangelistic messages I see in the New Testament, they were just preached at a, dop, a drop of a hat. You know, Peter was ready 
when the event came, when the opportunity came, he was ready to preach. So it wasn't that he said, well, wait a minute, I have to go study and prepare my heart. No, he was ready to preach. You know, he had that, he had that message in his heart. And so in the same way, we need to prepare our hearts and be ready uh, to deliver a message uh, that's going to change people's lives. Amen? Praise God. Okay, now we want to talk about a simple outline anyone can use to share the gospel. And first, let's think about the situation. You're, you're in a, a public area, a public meeting, and you're going to share the gospel. Maybe you're the preacher, or maybe you're leading a Bible study, maybe you're a musician. But just some thoughts to help you in sharing the gospel. First of all, introduce yourself. You know, be friendly, be human. You know, one time I was preaching for a pastor, and and uh, I just got up and opened the, opened the scripture and started preaching away. You know, and later he talked to me. He says, "You know, brother, you need to take time to just connect with the people. You know, introduce yourself and tell them, you know, what you love and what's important to you, and." And just show love to the people and connect with them personally. Because we're not, we're not preaching machines. You know, I mean, people can push a button and listen to a recording. But they, they want to connect. And, and they want a heart-to-heart. So introduce yourself. And then just read a scripture text, um, often from the gospel, one of the gospel messages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But it can be the Old Testament, or it can be just about anywhere in the scriptures. But remember, if you use a text from the epistles, be aware of the fact that these letters were written to church people. So you're going to have to adapt them if you're speaking to people that don't know the Lord. You're going to have to bring them along in a way that's going to help them to find Jesus. When you're preaching evangelistically, is a little different than preaching to church people or, or giving a Bible study to Christians or, or a message that a pastor would give uh, to his flock. And I know I was a pastor for over 20 years. So I understand what it's like. Your main priority, you know, when you minister is to feed the flock of God. That's the, the Bible says that. So what your focus is, is feeding those people something they can live on, something they can go on. But... In evangelistic ministry, uh, we have the opportunity to preach to people that don't know Jesus yet. And so we need to orientate our message just a little bit differently. It's just a little different way of thinking. For example, you know, if you're talking to Christians, a lot of times you'll say, we. We need to love our neighbors ourselves. We need to be faithful in church attendance, etc. But when you're speaking to the non-Christian, you know, it's, it's just a little bit different. You don't, you don't identify with them in the same way. You want to identify with them as a fellow human being, but you're not speaking to them as brothers in Christ. So it's a little different orientation, just a slight change there, but it makes all the difference in your thinking. You're, you're ministering to someone who needs to make a decision in their life, you know. So more often, rather than we, you would say you. You know, you need to receive Jesus in your life. And if you will open your heart today, you will find that, you know, things will change in your life. So that orientation is very important. You're not, you don't want to preach down at people, but at the same time, uh, you're talking to people that are on a different level spiritually. And you need to help them to understand the change that they need to make in order to uh, 
be accepted in the beloved and be changed and be part of the we, you know. So, so anyway, if you talk, if you're sharing from the epistles, just be aware of the fact that, you know, uh, the message is orientated towards believers. So you have to adapt it in that case. You know, when I, I remember one of the first times that I preached evangelistically was in Haiti. And I had the opportunity to do some open air meetings there. And I was working with a missionary, and we went out to some areas where there was a lot of people, and we would get in the back of a pickup truck, and we'd sing songs and and uh, and celebrate a little bit, and then I'd get up and, and preach. Well, I was a pastor at that time, and and uh, the message that we were kind of focusing on in, in my church was, you know, who you are in Christ. You know, any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and what it means to be a new creature. So I kind of got up there in that pickup truck, and I'm giving them the same sort of thing that I gave in my church. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of results. Not a lot of people were coming to Jesus. But I remember that we went to one place later on there in, in Haiti on that trip. And the Lord just gave me a verse. I was in a, a city, and it was kind of a, a city that was known for rum. They had a, a, a rum factory, you know, they were making rum, and... And it's just, you know, you could walk through the city and you could see there was just a lot of problems. People were just angry with one another and they weren't treating one another right. And the Lord gave me the scripture, you know, from Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. And so I got up and I shared that text and I began to preach and I began to talk to them about what I saw in their city. And I said, you know, it's just not right. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, it may not sound like good news, but I tell you what, it became very effective because after I did that, then I began to share the gospel, how Jesus could change them and how they could have the right kind of heart towards one another. And I tell you, I remember at that meeting, many people prayed to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So God taught me something about preaching evangelistically. It's different uh, than preaching to the church crowd. Praise the Lord. So... Uh, Wherever you start in the scriptures, make a beeline for Jesus. Train yourself to talk normally from the heart and to the heart. This is a, a, a supernatural thing when we talk about preaching the gospel. It's a very uh, spiritual event. You're actually God, asking God to enable you to reach into the heart of the person and to lead them to Jesus Christ. So speak heart to heart because that's the way it's going to work best. You can include your testimony or elements of your testimony. Uh, you can also have other people share their testimony before you preach. Or if you're a musician, you can sing songs with good gospel content and then just present the gospel and these elements I'm about to share with you. You know, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I found that to be so true. The more that I have learned to preach the gospel, the more I see the results in the things that I do. And I remember as a pastor, you know, and as a pastor, you have opportunities to, to uh, serve in the community and go into nursing homes, for example, and, and minister to the people. And I remember I used to actually detest going to nursing homes because I would go in and I would try to teach. And it was just you know, the people were just kind of looking at you and you wonder if anybody's listening and, and uh, is anybody paying attention to what I'm saying and so on. But when I learned to preach the gospel, I would go in and I, I tell you, 
it's something, it's just an amazing thing because these nursing homes, assisted living and different things, it's like they're transformed into a revival center because the, there's such an excitement. They catch the spirit uh, of the joy of salvation and, and uh, they just get turned on to the Lord. And I tell you, I've seen many of them receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior just through the simple proclamation of the gospel. So you can do it, you know, and it'll be a blessing. But one thing about it is the best teacher is experience, you know, studying the scriptures and praying, preparing yourself, like I said, and then just getting out there and doing it. And, you know, hey, maybe the first time it doesn't go so well. Maybe the second time it doesn't either. You, But you just keep at it. You just keep working at it. You keep learning. You keep growing. And I just see that in my own life and ministry, how God has just used these experiences to, to help me grow and develop and become more effective. And, you know, I heard a story one time about Billy Graham. And, and uh, Billy was had heard about another man that was... Uh, teaching about evangelism and had done a lot of research and studying and so on. And he was sharing things about the proclamation of the gospel. And, and so uh, Billy said to one of his staff members, do you think uh, this man would be willing to share some of the things he, he knows with me so to help me with my gospel presentation? And I thought, what an amazing thing. Here's Billy Graham, the man that's preached probably to more human beings than anyone else, preached the gospel to more human beings than anyone else in the world. He's asking for more help with his gospel presentation. And it just it just shows me the humility that, you know, that we need to keep, that to keep learning and keep growing uh, in our gospel ministry. You know, none of us have arrived. I know I, I certainly haven't. I've got a long ways to go. But the Lord has brought me through some things and taught me some things. And as I say, keep going, you know, step out there, do what the Lord said. He said, go ye into all the world and preach, you know, go out and try it, do something. And, and God will guide you and he will help you and he, he will help you to understand what your particular ministry is. You know, I talked to a man the other day in one of our meetings. He came up to me and says, I'd, I'd like for you to pray for me. I have a desire to work with developmentally disabled people. So, you know, everybody has a little different calling, a little different function, and a little different place. But, you know, just you got to get out there and step. You know, the scripture said, as you're walking, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And you're not going to learn how to preach the gospel without preaching the gospel. It's like uh, you can go to school and, and uh, study carpentry. But until you get out there on the job and start swinging the hammer or whatever tool you're using... Uh, you're not going to grow in carpentry. And it's the same with sharing the gospel and gospel ministry. You know, you learn by doing, praise the Lord, and then learn from your mistakes and, and learn areas that you can improve and you can grow in. And I tell you, God will make a gospel preacher out of you and you can see a lot of people come to the Lord. And when you get to heaven, they'll be there and they'll be thanking you uh, for sharing this message of love with them. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, Another experience that I had that taught me a great deal about ministering the gospel was ministering in India. Of course, India is a Hindu nation, and so there's a lack of knowledge about God. They, they worship a multitude of gods. And so when I went to India and began to do evangelistic meetings, we do open-air meetings and that kind of thing, I realized that, you know, in preaching the gospel that something was missing. You know, I'd go and I'd preach Jesus to them. 
But there was some background information that was missing in that case. And I realized that they really didn't have an understanding of God. So we had to preach about God before we could preach about Jesus. We had to give them some foundation uh, before we could tell them about the Redeemer. You know, and you may see in the book of Acts, you know, Peter preaching. And he doesn't he doesn't talk about the creator necessarily or God, but he's talking to people who already had that foundation, you know. But in many cases, we're talking to people that don't have that foundation. And, you know, when I came back to the United States, I realized, hey, you know, we're living in a world that faith in faith God even has been eroded, you know. There's one thing, one faith in God and God's faith is Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. See, his disciples believed in God, okay, but he said, believe also in me. Why? Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. So we need the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we need to realize that God sent his Son uh, to die for our sins so that we can come back to him. But I realize that many people do not have that foundation of the Creator God. So let's talk about the, the elements, four elements of an evangelistic sermon. You may be preaching from anywhere. I mean, any text, any subject matter, the prodigal son or uh, John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, you know, you may be in Old Testament scripture. You might be open to Isaiah 53 and talk about, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but we, esteem, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. There's many different texts that you can preach on, but in the back of your mind, just sort of have this outline in your mind and remember to bring these elements out because they'll help people to understand the gospel and why they need the gospel. See, there's a disconnect if you just tell people, well, you need Jesus. You know, Jesus is wonderful. Well, there's a, there's a slight disconnect. Why do you need Jesus? And, and it's not real complicated. And it doesn't really take a lot of time to explain these things to them. So we've got four elements here, and these are the things that God taught me uh, through experience that I needed to do. And, and as I said, I learned this really from preaching in India. And it was interesting, later on, I was talking to an evangelist friend, and uh, as I shared these things, and he said, yeah, that's, uh, that's what T.L. Osborne taught. And so, uh, you know, this man was a protege uh, of T.L. Osborne, and one of the basic things that he taught and also in teaching people how to share the gospel was these four elements. Number one, God's creation. Number two, Satan's deception. Number three, Christ's substitution. And number four, our restoration. You know, so we begin with God's creation. You know, God made everything good. Praise God. God didn't make a corrupt world. He didn't make a, a world in which uh, was full of sin and disease and problems, social problems and everything else. And to me, this is so basic to, to understand, to help people understand. God is good. The problems that are in this world are not because of God's choice. It's because of man's bad choice to follow Satan. In the beginning, God made everything good. So often we hear people say, well, you know, why would God allow this, you know, or this to happen to my child or my nephew or something like that? Well, this is not God's 
plan. It wasn't God's plan to have disaster and destruction and pain and suffering and murder and rape and, you know, people treating one another in evil ways and all the, all the wars and all these things that are in the earth, the terrible things that are in the earth, are not because God decided that's the way it should be. God made everything good. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So everything that's created, whether it's on this earth or in the heavens, came from God. He created them. He is the creator God. And then we see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, that God created man in his own image, male and female, created he them. And he gave them dominion. And God, so God created human beings, men and women, in his own image. He didn't create women to be second-class citizens. He didn't create them to be oppressed. You know, he created all of us to enjoy life together and to be on top. You know, he gave them dominion in this earth. He gave them a position of authority from the very beginning, and he created them in his own image. So, you know, every day that God made something, he, he looked at it at the end of the day and he says, oh, that's good. That's good. You know, he made the trees and he said, that's good. You know, he made the, the fish. He says, oh, that's good. That's good. He enjoyed, you know, his work. You know, he made the, the animals, you know, he said, that's good. He made the deer, you know, he made the, the rabbits. He made all the animals of the earth. He said, that's good. Praise God. But then on the sixth day, he made man. And he said, that's very good. That's really, really good. Praise God. You know, God made us good. God does not make junk. God made us good, and he made us to be good. And he, you know, he made us uh, with a, a sense of his glory and, and uh, his perfection in us. But then he put them in a garden, and, and he gave them a beautiful garden to take care of. But then Satan came into the garden in the form of a serpent and tempted Eve. And Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided their plan was better than God's plan. They decided they could decide what was right and wrong more than God could. And that day they died spiritually. They, become, they became separated from God. They became afraid of God. And they lost their position in the garden. They were kicked out of the garden, and, and God did not allow them to, to live in the garden because he did not want them to live eternally in that position. So there was a separation from God. That's Satan's deception. And they fell, and they were separated from the Lord, and that's where all the human problems are. So we presented the problem. See, we've we presented the creator and we presented the reality of the problem that's in people's lives and that's in this world. And very often there we'll use the scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where it says that by one man's sin, sin passed on the human race and death by sin. So because of Adam and Eve, a spiritual death passed on the human race. Sin came into the human race as a result of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that's where the problem stems from. And that's why we need an answer. We need a solution. And so therefore, God in his love sent Jesus to come to this earth and pray, pay the penalty for our sins to redeem mankind and to bring us new life. Amen.
So there we have Christ's substitution. So you can present that from many different aspects, many different scriptures. John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We see after you present God the creator and the fact that, you know, he deserves all our honor and, and that he deserves to be our only God. You know, and, and in India, of course, that's very important. We, we present uh, the fact that he's a jealous God and he doesn't want them worshiping all these idols. And we present the holiness of God and we present the fact that man fell and sin came into his heart and death came on the human race. In other words, separation from God. Well, then people are ready to receive the gospel. They're ready to receive the good news. See, you, you have to, they have to hear the bad news, really, before they can hear the good news. They have to realize they're not right before they can come, become right. So that's in the presentation of the gospel, God, uh, God's creation, Satan's deception, and then Christ's substitution. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. We can be restored to God through what Jesus did. And uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. So this is the good news that all this can be corrected, all this can be changed, all our sins can be forgiven, washed away. We can be made new because of what Jesus did. And so it's very important that we preach the cross. Say, preach the cross. Say, I will preach the cross in Jesus' name. You know, I heard a story one time about uh, Billy Graham, and he, had, of course, he did many crusades and and uh, evangelistic crusades. But one time he was preaching a meeting and and uh, he had very little results. Very few people came to the Lord, even though he was preaching his heart out, giving his best, you know, to call people to come to Christ. There was very, very little result. And after the meeting, he talked to a friend who was there and he said, you know, there was so little power in the meeting tonight. I just don't understand why. And the man says, well, Billy, I know why. You didn't preach the cross tonight. And of course, Billy Graham, I mean, that was his ministry, preaching the cross. But that particular time, he, he got off subject, and he didn't bring out about the cross. And I'll tell you, when you don't bring out the cross, there's no power. I mean, there's, the, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. But when you preach that cross, the human heart, there's something about it. The, it registers in the human heart. God has made us to realize we need a Redeemer. And so when we preach that message of the cross, people will come for forgiveness and healing through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is an opportunity to present the love and mercy and goodness of God, that he's redeemed us, he's bought us back, he's paid the price. God's the good guy. <laughs> That's a little informal maybe to say that, but if you understand what I'm saying, Satan's the bad guy, God's the good guy. Satan's the one that's the author of the problems that are in this world. But God sent his son to redeem us, to be the answer. God's the hero, uh, the devil's the villain. Let's keep that straight, amen, in our preaching and our thinking and in our lives. Okay, so we've got God's creation, Satan's deception, Christ's substitution, and then finally our restoration. That to understand that you must receive Christ. You know, that God has done these things. You know, the Bible, in fact, says that he died for the sins of the whole world. 
you know, when he went to the cross, he didn't go for, you know, 20% of the people. <clears throat> he went there for every single human being on the face of the earth. However, it's our choice then to receive Christ. We must come back to God through Jesus Christ. And some good scriptures on that is John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. See, when we are away from Christ, we're not the children of God. Many people say, well, we're all the children of God. No, it's those who have received Jesus that are the children of God. You know, for example, you know, the Muslims say God has no son. God doesn't need a son. Well, no, God wants a, a, a family of sons, daughters, amen. He wants children. But the way is through Jesus Christ, as many as received him, John 1, 12, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. Oh, hallelujah. That is so awesome. And you know, if children, then heirs, the scripture says. If you're a child of God, then you're an heir of God. So everything that God has belongs to you. It's just as if you're in this family, you have the inheritance, right? If you're in the Rockefeller family, you have the Rockefeller inheritance. If you're in God's family, you have God's inheritance. And in fact, I'm preaching now, but it's, I get excited. And this is the thing. Get excited about Jesus. I mean, get stirred up about what he has done. Praise God. And that excitement, when you convey that excitement to people, they'll catch the spirit of it, see? And they'll want what you have. Praise the Lord. And in fact, you know, the scripture says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. <laughs> A joint heir means uh, we're co-equal in our inheritance. Now, we're not co-equal with Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the only begotten Son. Don't misunderstand me on that. We're not divinity. But we have what Jesus has. He's imparted these things to us. He's given these things to us. We have a wonderful inheritance in Christ. Praise the Lord. So, <clears throat> in point four, our restoration you must receive Christ. It's not automatic. You must do something. God's done all the heavy lifting through Jesus Christ, but yet you must accept it. You must receive it. Amen. You receive it by faith. You receive it by believing in what he has done, believing in the power of the cross, believing that Jesus died for you personally, and by turning to him. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus made the statement. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he said, repent and believe the gospel. There's two things there. Repent means to turn around, to turn from sin, and to turn to God, and believe the gospel. Believe the message that you heard about what Jesus did for you. And these are the two things, the two elements that people need to do in order to be saved. And I know this by experience in my own life. You know, when I was nine years old, I was sitting in a Baptist church on Easter Sunday morning, and the preacher gave the message on the resurrection of Christ and the gospel. And I went forward and I prayed what we called the sinner's prayer. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit really touched my life that day. I mean, I, I the gospel came alive to me. I responded to it. I went forward, but I didn't repent. I didn't give my life to the Lord. I didn't make him Lord of my life. And so uh, I didn't really come into my salvation at that time. In fact, you know, I I did a lot of things wrong and I, my heart was not right with God for many years after that. But then when I was 27, 
Through a series of events, God spoke to my heart, and he said, turn from the things of the world. In other words, turn is the same, really another way of saying repent. Turn away from the sin, turn to me. I just said, yes, Lord, I will. I lifted my hands, I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I have never been the same, praise God. So the gospel works, amen, but you do need to do your part. You need to believe in the message of what he did for you, and then you need to repent, praise God. So repent and believe the gospel. So when you're preaching the gospel, you need to make it clear that the people need to repent. They need to turn from sin, turn to God, amen, and explain, you know, what sin is. And by the way, there's nothing wrong in your message to bring some conviction, amen, uh, to talk about sin, you know, to, to, you know, you want to say common expression, make them squirm a little bit, amen, because it's for their own good. See, there needs to be an acknowledgement of sin, and a lot of people are callous to their own sin. And so part of our preaching often needs to be in that area of recognizing what sin is and bringing out things that are wrong, so that the people can be made right. And again, it goes back to what Adam did, but then there's also a personal, uh, a personal responsibility. You know, John, I mean, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So it can't just be Adam's sin. You know, you got to realize it's your sin, amen? You're wrong. You're not right with God. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, we see that he told them that they crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. And it said when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart or they were convicted or they were cut to the heart, one translation says. So you see there was a, an acknowledgement in their heart that they, they weren't right and they were really in danger of eternal damnation. And then they said, well, what, what shall we do? And then, of course, Peter said, repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he called them to repent and so we need to, to preach with some conviction, not, you know, necessarily the old style high, hellfire and brimstone, but we need to not ignore that part of it too, that there is sin and it, it, God is absolutely separate from sin, amen, and that there is a judgment for those that do not receive the remedy. So it's, it's okay to preach a convicting message, but then bring the goodness of God, the good news that, hey, you don't have to live under this condemnation. God will forgive every sin. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you. And he will come into your heart and write his laws in your heart and make you a different person. Praise the Lord. So point four, our restoration. Uh, it's not automatic. You must do something. You must repent and believe the gospel. Now, um, I like to use in leading people in a prayer for salvation, I like to use Romans 10, 9, and 10. Most often I'll use that scripture because it tells us, you know, clearly how to be saved. So Romans chapter 10, we'll read verse 9. It says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, that's pretty good. It tells you how to be saved. So when I lead people in a prayer of salvation, normally I'll, I'll use some variation of that. For example, um, I'll say, 
let me lead you in a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just say these words. Just say, Dear God, I've been a sinner. I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe you raised him from the dead. And I confess today, Jesus is my Lord. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And I thank you for making me your child today. In Jesus' name, I call you Father because now you are my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a little different than I usually pray it, but you know, it's like I said, it's a variation. The Holy Spirit leads you, you know, in your ministry. And the invitation part, I find, varies a little bit according to the situation. Now, there's a couple different methods that I use in giving an invitation. And uh, one we'll call the two-step method. This is most often in churches what I'll do. And that's in which we give people an opportunity to acknowledge their need for Jesus Christ privately, and then we'll ask them to come forth publicly. And by the way, I usually try to let them know ahead of time that we're going to have both steps. <laughs> so they're not surprised. You know, they don't think you're pulling a fast one on them. So I'll tell them sometime during the message, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And by the way, if you're preaching an evangelistic message, um, it's good to do that earlier in the message. You know, uh, I learned this from other evangelists that they actually will give, uh, plant the seed of the invitation. And you might say, start giving the invitation at the very beginning of the message. Just saying something like, we're going to share with you for a few minutes, and then afterwards, we're going to invite you to come and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so that prepares their hearts. They know what's coming that gives the Holy Spirit time to, to work with them and to draw them to that event in the meeting, okay? So the two-step method is you ask them to privately acknowledge that they want to receive Jesus Christ, and then you ask them to come forward. So for me, what's worked for me is I'll just generally, I'll say, I'd like to have just a holy moment. Let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord and bow our heads, and I'll ask everyone to bow their heads. And then I'll say, if you'd like to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life today, would you lift your hand? And so then, you know, people will raise their hand. Now, probably some people that have actually already received Christ will raise their hand if you give it that way. And as I said, sometimes we'll give it different ways. I was at a meeting recently in a nursing home, and I asked that question, and then I asked, how many are here that have received Jesus, but you really need to come back? You need to repent and come back to the Lord today. And so then others raised their hand. And then we prayed a prayer that would work for both groups because that particular message was actually uh, dealing with the subject of holiness and calling the believers also back to holiness. So there's times when you're in a combination situation, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's nice if you're doing kind of one or the other. However, you know, the reality of it is in many situations, you're preaching to believers and unbelievers. So you have to find a way to uh, to handle both situations and ask God's grace and wisdom how to do that. Uh, but that's that's another subject. But 
I found that, you know, that was like another step. You know, first I kind of had to learn how to preach an evangelistic, just a straight evangelistic message. Then I could come and preach to a crowd that, hey, some of them need to get saved. Some of them need to come back to the Lord. Some of them just need to be encouraged. So you've got a, a really mixed group of people that you want to minister to, and God will give you a way to do that. But one thing about it is it doesn't matter who you're preaching to. Uh, you're not going to really have success getting people saved unless you give the gospel message. It doesn't matter what subject you're preaching on. You know, if you're preaching on holiness or if you're preaching on family or you're preaching on whatever, you know, as part of your message, give the gospel, that simple gospel message, and help them to understand how to come to Christ. And if they're sitting there and they know, hey, you know, this doesn't fit me, I'm not right with God, well, then they'll have the opportunity at the end as you give an invitation to come to the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage you, you know, you can do this, praise God. But, you know, it takes practice and uh, you can grow in that. So we mentioned the two-step method. And then uh, secondly, we'll just call the acknowledge, confess method, which is like in a nursing home or other settings. A lot of times I'll use this. We don't necessarily ask them to come forward, but we'll do the holy moment We'll say we're going to have a holy moment. We're going to quiet our hearts. And it's just something about that, a holy moment. It's asking people to reverence God. And it gives the Holy Spirit just an opportunity to, to move. And so we just quiet our hearts. And if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord today, would you lift your hand? And then people will lift their hand. And I found, you know, in our own, our own town here in nursing homes, that generally probably an average of about half the people will raise their hand and say, yes, I want Jesus as my, as my Lord. Because, you know, many of the people in the nursing home, and by the way, if you go back, you know, six months later or four months later, even some of the people that were there aren't there anymore and we get a new, a new crowd. So we keep preaching the gospel to them. But many of the people, in the, even if they've been in a Christian church, have never really had a presentation of the gospel in such a way that calls them to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're bringing that's different. So we don't come against what they have or their religion or their denomination. Never, you know, that's, never, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's not effective. We're speaking to hearts about their relationship with the Lord. So but so if but they maybe they were in a situation where they've been religious but they haven't really found righteousness. They haven't really found true forgiveness. They're just banking on their organization, their denomination or their uh, church membership or confirmation or whatever it is, which of course is a, is a uh, empty shell and has no power, but we can bring them that personal relationship. And before they leave this earth, they can accept Jesus and be born again. Praise God right there in the nursing home. So I found about half the people will raise their hand to receive Jesus as Lord. <clears throat> and so then, like I say, we won't ask them to come forward, but we'll just lead the whole group in a confession of faith and turning to God through Jesus Christ. So... And then uh, afterwards, after sharing the gospel, giving an invitation, praying a prayer for salvation, uh, I like to try to give some follow-up words, some help to give them direction of what they need to do now. You know, you don't, uh, you're not, you don't have a baby and just leave them on the floor, and, and, and you know, you have to nurture that baby. And so we try to lead them 
in some way to uh, a place where they can grow. So we tell them about being part of a local church, having a pastor, uh, fellowshipping with other Christians, prayer, reading the Word of God. Uh, we'll talk to them about being baptized if they haven't. And just a little follow-up information. And, you know, of course, we recognize that we are not going to necessarily be the people to disciple them. But, you know, that's someone else, hopefully, is going to be do, do that. And that's why it's good. You know, I like working with local churches because there's a situation where someone can be born again and then they can follow that, find that nurture and care and growth to go on in the Christian life. Amen. Because uh, we'll do our part and somebody else does theirs. Sometimes people criticize evangelists because they're not discipling people. Well, you know, that's not, not necessarily their role. You know, it's like uh, in the hospital, you, you know, when a woman's going to have a baby, she goes in and the obstetrician delivers the baby. Well, the evangelist, he's like the obstetrician. He's not the pediatrician. He's, he's about delivering the baby, you know. And so that's the evangelist. He's about getting people born again. But then we need to work with others like a pastor or, or a teacher or those that have that nurturing quality to nurture the new believers so they can grow in Christ. Praise God. Well, we've talked for a while. I guess it's an hour and 13 minutes so far, and we're about to conclude. Uh, we just uh, bless you and thank you for listening. Uh, if you've got this far, you must have a desire uh, to lead people to Christ. And we just pray in Jesus' name that this message has helped you in that matter. And I encourage you to take the notes and look up the scriptures, look them up in the version that you like best and meditate on them and spend some time in your devotional time going over these scriptures and meditating and letting God speak to your heart. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for each one listening today and for this precious opportunity that we've had to share together, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to present it, how to preach the gospel. What a valuable subject. And Lord, we just love your people. We just love these laborers who desire to share your word, and we just release the anointing of God upon them to do just that. We thank you, your power, the power of your Holy Spirit comes upon them to be witnesses and to be gospel preachers for the Lord Jesus Christ. We just honor you today, and we thank you for the good fruit that will come forth from this, because your word will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We pray you have been blessed and encouraged by this message from Tom Shanklin Ministries. Tom Shanklin Ministries is reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We invite you to become part of this worldwide evangelistic outreach through your prayers and financial support. To request our free monthly newsletter, you can reach Tom Shanklin Ministries at 507-407-HELP. That's 507-407-4357. Visit Tom Shanklin Ministries online at tomshanklin.org or send cards and letters to Tom Shanklin Ministries, P.O. Box 4144, Mankato, Minnesota, 56002.